Y'all enjoy worship? That was fun. That was fun. I want to say, I want you guys to be able to say hello. They went to the back. Um, the guy who had joined us was a friend of ours. That is Matthew Parker, Rhonda Parker, and the coolest name ever, the baby's name is Peter Parker. Anybody know who Peter Parker is? We've been calling him Spidey. <laughs> so they're down visiting with us this weekend. It's, thank you guys. And um, Matthew will be back to, to close the service with the, with the team. And it's just been fun having them here. Um, let me just stop and say a good morning to all of you guys watching online. Um, can you guys believe it's almost Easter already? Man, time is just moving. But I want to encourage you what Melanie said. Um, invite somebody. The worst they can say is no. The best they can say is yes. And you could be changing eternity with a simple invitation. We've got some pretty cool, cool music coming up. And uh, it'll be a good, uh, it's a good time to bring somebody. And um, we anticipate it's going to be full that morning. So um, if some of you who feel like you need to sit in your same seat, if you want it, you better be here early to get it um, because there's no holds and savesies. So you're going to be here, we're going to be full, and it's going to be fun. Um, we're in this, this series called Seven Days, and again, it's about the, uh, the week before Easter, what's known as Passion Week, leading up to Easter Sunday. And uh, if you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back online and watch those. But the week goes something like this. On Sunday before Easter, Jesus is triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He gets on the donkey, he rides in, they're laying palm leaves down, they're throwing their coats down, singing hallelujah, praise be to God, who's our Savior's coming. On Monday, Jesus goes in and clears the temple. He begins to take these barriers away. They were selling stuff in the temple and they were getting in between uh, in between people who were coming to worship and the God they were coming to worship. On Tuesday, Jesus goes and teaches at the, the Mount of Olives, and most, most people will tell you that he, he taught all day long, and just a vast amount of teaching that he took the disciples with him. On Wednesdays, there's not a whole lot of scripture. Most theologians believe that, Je that Jesus was with Mary and Martha um, after the Monday, Tuesday, he was resting because he knew it was coming Thursday, Friday, Saturday that most people believe he, he was there resting. And then last week we did Thursday, which was when he had the Last Supper with the disciples. He shared his life with them. He shared um, his passion for them. And so I encourage you to go back and, and look at all those if you've missed them. And then today we're going to talk about what's known as Good Friday. Good Friday was the day that Jesus was crucified. It was a good Friday for us, but how many of you would understand it's not a good Friday for Jesus? It wasn't good for him, but it didn't, it didn't stop him. Then Saturday is what we call just the waiting. Some people actually will call that a day of defeat because the disciples thought that it was over and done with, that he was dead and gone, and, and the whole idea of Jesus' kingdom was just over with. Then, of course, we know we'll celebrate in two weeks on Sunday morning. The Bible says that Jesus blew hell open. The grave was open. Jesus comes out of the grave and completes his work for us. And we'll get those in the next, the Saturday and Sunday in the next two weeks as we, as we head toward Easter. But, you know, tradition, again, calls this Good Friday. Calls that Friday before Easter, Sunday, Good Friday. But, again, it wasn't great for Jesus. For us, it was great because we had freedom and life and healing, forgiveness for our sin. The price was about to be paid for all that. A price that nobody in this room, nobody watching online could ever pay. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough. 
It can't be bought. Salvation can't be, can't be bought by anything we have. It had to be bought by the blood of a perfect lamb, a perfect human being in this case. He was fully God, fully man, and as a man, he lived perfectly, and he gave up his life for you and I. Disciples really didn't even get, I think, and this is what we're going to talk about today, the significance of the day. Because they were so baffled and confused. They still thought Jesus was going to whip out the sword, grab some chariots and some soldiers, and go start kicking tail and taking names and take over the Roman Empire and establish his own earthly kingdom. But it left, ultimately, all of them feeling defeated. Because ultimately, they all left. They all left Jesus. Look at this verse in, in chapter 18 of Luke. It says, Jesus took the 12 disciples... And he said, hey, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, and I'm just going to warn you now. So see, they, they could have known. They just chose not to pay attention. Where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man were going to be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Romans. He'll be mocked, treated shamefully, spit on. They will flog him with a whip. They will kill him, and on the third day, he'll rise again. In verse 34, but they didn't understand this. And I highlighted this for you on the screen. They failed, to, they failed to see the significance of what? And they failed to grasp what Jesus was even talking about. See, what he was talking about was prophesied some 800 years. The disciples could not see this word. I'm going to put it on the screen. Significance. They did not understand that what was happening was not, in fact, what they thought it was, and they thought it was defeat. They thought game's over. They didn't understand that Jesus was doing the one and only thing that could be the one and only thing that could be done for them to be able to spend eternity with Jesus, to spend eternity for us to spend eternity with God, to be able to get close to God, because at the time. The Pharisees, we talked about um, coming up with this. They were getting antsy. They were, getting, they were going after Jesus. What was coming, the significance of it, allowed him to experience what he had to go through so that we can experience what God promised us. See, it was significant because not just to Jesus, but as well to us. Because what they were trying to do is this. They were trying to cancel Jesus. We hear that term a lot now. And it seems that even Christians, when they, we stand up and say, this is what we believe, this is what I believe my Bible teaches, the world just tries to cut us off, tries to cancel us. Well, that's what, in, in essence, on Good Friday, that's what the Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus. If you remember, Jesus goes to the garden and, and Judas betrays him and brings the guards to him. And that's when Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the guard's ear. And Jesus says, no, stop. This has got to happen. And what he was talking about, again, was prophesied 800 years before. Because Jesus went through six trials. You realize that? All of them at night or early morning. Three church, three government trials. The Pharisees were conducting trials. And by Roman law, trials conduct, could not be legally conducted at night. Their system is where we actually get part of our judicial system from, and they wouldn't have them at night because they didn't think it was fair, because they didn't like things happening in the dead of night when there wasn't people there to see it. 
Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew 26 that inside the leading priest and the entire high council, they were trying to find something on Jesus. They were trying to find somebody to lie about him so they could execute him. But they were trying to justify it. Like that somehow made it better that they would be off the hook because we could kill him because these people said how evil he is. Then it goes on to say they could not use in verse 63. They couldn't use it. So the high priest came to Jesus and said, I demand in the name of the living God, you tell me if you are indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the only statement in Jesus' trial that was ever true. The only one. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer was, you said it. In my mind, he's like, you said it, I didn't. Like you're asking a question thinking you're going to trap me on this question, but you just proclaimed who I was and I didn't, even have to, I didn't even have to say it myself. See, the significance was that Jesus was accused so we could be free. They pointed the finger at him that rightly so for us should be pointed at me and you. Anybody ever have a teacher that did that to you? That used to drive me nuts. A teacher that would wagger. It seemed like teachers, some of y'all have like these fingers that are that long. And they wag it in you. Young man, you should not. You never will. You. That's what, that's what the world, that's what we deserve. And the Bible says that all of humanity took all the stuff we've done, all our doubt, all our sin, all our sickness, all our disease, and the Bible says it all piled on Jesus. And they handed it to him and said, see, this is all you. So instead of us being accused, the Bible says Jesus stood and took even the accusations for us. So this was a significant day. Those trials weren't just the story to set up for, the, for the, his execution, but it was very much what we deserved because people lie about us. People point at us. People call us things that we're not. People try to direct our lives with their words and their accusations. I think if they, think, they feel like if they accuse you of something, then they can get you to bend and go their way. But there's a time in every Christian's life, if you're not saved, you just need to know this is coming. There's a time in every Christian's life who profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior where we can, and, and you can do it in love, but you can say, I don't agree with that. My God doesn't think that way. My God says about me, and then you can tell them what God says about you because the world will try to cancel you and tell you what you are instead of, tell, instead of you understanding what God says you are. See, Jesus was sinless, and it was all false, yet he took it for us. See, the Good Friday... The good, that, the good Friday that was not good for Jesus means he had to do something. and He had to do this. He had to endure crucifixion for our love, his love for us, and because there was a purpose in it. We don't like to hear this as really as human beings, but especially as Christians, that sometimes there's a purpose, a result, a good thing. God can turn it from some pain, right? Okay, no. Ladies, is there some pain when you give birth? This was y'all's chance, and that was really pathetic. Is there some pain when you give birth? Right. But is there some tremendous, wonderful outcome? Is there a purpose to that pain? Yes. See, Jesus had to look through and say, I love you guys, but I'm doing this, I love you, but there's a purpose for what I'm doing. 
He had to endure it. He couldn't quit because if he, the Bible, if he, if he quit, we're all in trouble. Because he was, there was no, it was not like God. And I heard somebody teaching this the other day, and it one made me grab my computer and throw it out in the parking lot. There was somebody teaching basically that Jesus, God had a backup plan. Where they got it, I don't know, because it's not in the Bible. God did not have a backup plan. The Bible says he so loved the world, he gave his only son. It wasn't like the B team was sitting in the locker room. Oh, Jesus quit? Okay, I'll take care of this. You know, and then he steps in. Jesus had to endure for love and for purpose. And make no mistake about this, he had to endure. Sometimes I think we see crucifixion and it kind of really dumbs down what happened. Jesus was not just executed. He wasn't executed, he was tortured. And I think if you've seen The Passion of the Christ or any of those movies, while The Passion does better, I still don't think we can even wrap our brains around what they went through. The Romans actually perfected hurting people for a very long time and keeping them alive as long as they possibly could. And they were the best at it. It's very horrible and graphic, but that's what happened. Jesus willingly stepped down. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, and again, this was 800 years before Jesus showed up. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Our turning our nose up at God. Our turning our nose up at authority. He was whipped. He was crushed for our sins. He was whipped so you and I can be healed. The New Testament tells us that by his stripes we are healed. And some of you right now need to say that a little louder. Because by our stripes, by his stripes we are and the Bible's very clear about that. And if Jesus doesn't experience crucifixion, you can't experience that healing. So it was a very significant thing for us. Because Jesus, the Bible says, the significance, Jesus can fully identify. He said he was fully God. He laid that down to come to earth. And he lived his life fully as a human. God, Jesus did miracles but at the same time, it was God working through the, the, the man part of Jesus because he was here on this earth. If you take away his humanity, you take away the sacrifice of pure, spotless lamb. If we say, well, he was just God, he could, he could take the death, he could, he, could, he could experience it. Jesus is fully identifying with us. And from that, he had to experience death. Again, he couldn't quit. He couldn't stop. And again, it was not a quick death. The Bible is, is clear. If you read the story of Jesus' crucifixion before he dies, if you remember, he's at, there's, a, there's two thieves and crooks on both sides. One's yanging at Jesus, making fun of him, saying, well, if you're really who you say you are, get us down. And the other guy, the other guy is, this is my words, is telling the guy, you need to shut it because I don't think you realize who this is. We just happen to be up here. And that's when Jesus, he says to Jesus, save me. And Jesus tells him, hey, you're going you're gonna to be with me forever in heaven. There's a conversion, I believe, right there on the cross. Jesus took about six hours from the time they put him on the cross to the time he died. And he died about 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. 
And this is crucial. If you, if you take anything away from today, I want you to remember this whole wonderful message, but I want you to remember this. Jesus' life was not taken. The Romans didn't take it. The people didn't take it. Jesus did, in fact, die. He did, in fact, what was put into the tomb, and he went to the grave, and he went to the pits of hell. But you need to understand this. Jesus' life, it was willingly sacrificed for you and for me. It wasn't taken. He allowed it to happen because the God part of him, he said, yeah, I could call down legions of angels and get me out of here, but, but it's not going to happen because I have to finish this. John 10, 18 says that no one can take my life, that I sacrificed it voluntarily. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, even while we didn't deserve it. See, Jesus, the significance was Jesus was sent to give his life because, remember, you're fully loved. For you to be fully loved, he had to be fully experienced. He had to be fully um, challenged to go through everything he did, to live a perfect life, to go through the, the beating and the, the torture that he endured. And it became something that Jesus had to demonstrate to us. Because the next significant thing that I'm going to give you to the disciples seemed to confirm what was happening to them. Because remember, the disciples were thinking, Jesus is going to come. We're going to rise up. I said this last week, if you, if you that the disciples thought they were going to be Jesus' presidential cabinet with all the bigwigs. Like, yeah, God, we were with you through the campaign, Jesus. You know, we went to all those campaign rallies. We were with you when you healed the guy. We were with you when you put mud in the guy's eyes. We were with you. And we did all this with you. And so now when you become in your, when you walk into your kingdom and you take power, that you can say what you want, but they were expecting a little reciprocation. Like, we followed you around. We fed all those, you know, we had to do the work when you were feeding all those people in the, um, in the desert. We were the ones on the boat that was drowned, and you just came walking out there like it was no big deal in the water. And I had to think their attitudes had to be somewhat like that, that they were really counting on Jesus to insert them into a place of power and wealth and authority. So the fact that Jesus told them that night, said, listen, guys, I'm about to go, and everything they, they, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Jewish law. They knew what was coming. But they weren't letting themselves realize that it was Jesus that all those prophecies were talking about. Because the next thing Jesus experienced is Jesus was placed in the tomb. The Bible tells us that he actually breathed his last breath. And they took him down because they needed to get him down before Sabbath on Saturday. Because they, they had to get him down. And so the, if you know the story and you really read into it, the grave that says it's a borrowed grave, it wasn't just borrowed because he's not going to stay in it, he's coming out. It was borrowed because they had to have somewhere to put him. So they put him in the grave. They covered the stone over it. They ordered because they, the, the powers that be just knew Jesus was a farce and that these people were going to prop him up and make him disappear. That's why they rolled the big stone. But Jesus was placed in the tomb. And we're going to talk about this actually next week. 
It's going to be a good one. I'm excited about that. Of what happens when you look, when everything around you looks like you're defeated. I've been watching, and I'm normally not a basketball fan, but I do love the NCAA, Sweet 16, 8, you know, and on. I usually like to find the, the underdog. A few years ago, the school that Melanie and I went to, or Roberts University, was the underdog. Finding these schools that, is, you know, they're 16. And you're really not even sure how they got in. And they probably feel that way when they show up at the arena. People are looking at them like, we don't even know why y'all are here. You know, you're, you're short, you're slow, you can't shoot. Why are you here? And there's this defeated mentality that everybody has toward them. But those guys have to go, no, we really don't know why we're here either. But we're going to play until somebody tells us where it's over. And the clock counts down, and I forget which game it was. And I'm thinking it's over. There's a pass to half court. Guy grabs it and almost like just launches, grannies it up. It goes in, they win. See, the disciples didn't even have that much hope. They, they weren't even thinking there's two seconds on the clock. We can get the ball in. Easy basket, we win. They were thinking it's, They were thinking this whole game's over that there's nothing they could do. Because Jesus now had, had died. And when they took him, if you remember, we'll go back to the garden for a minute. When they took Jesus, do y'all remember what the disciples did? All the disciples, all these guys who were there, we want to be on your presidential team. When they took him, they split. That was the time in the story that you may know from your Easter story when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, no, no. He, Peter says, no, I'll never deny you. And he says, oh, no, no, no. By in the morning, the rooster's going to crow, and when you hear that crow, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice, but three times, right? And Jesus said, y'all are all going to leave me. That's what the disciples did when Jesus was placed in the tomb because Jesus had to face death. First Corinthians tells us this. This is out of the message paraphrase. I, just, I like the way this guy writes this. He says, death, who's afraid of you now? It was the sin that made, made death so frightening. This, the reason that was the sin and the law, the law code of guilt, because that was the one thing that would separate us from Jesus, separate us from God forever, force us away from our creator. But it goes on to say that, but now a single victorious stroke, I love that word, a single victorious stroke of life. That was Jesus saying, I'm giving my life. Notice the life there. I'm not good. I was not a good literary person. I, I was not good writing papers. I didn't take Greek and Hebrew in seminary because I struggled with English. But even I know that when it says the stroke of life and that L is capitalized, what does that mean? It tells us, hey, that's, that's, a, that's a sign of respect. It's a sign of a, something formal. That L is big because it was the life of Jesus that it's talking about. That all three of these, our sin, our guilt, our death, are not just dealt with, 
Say this with me. They are, one more time, they are gone. And it was the gift of our master, capital M, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to experience the tomb. He had to experience death. The theology of it is really interesting. If you get into it, the Bible says that Jesus went down to hell. And it says that he comes back and he takes the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Now, it would be the equivalent of me coming to your house and I take your keys, throw you outside, lock the door. Can you get back in? Not without some major help, I guess. You could kick your doors in. But Jesus went in and took the authority and said, no, these are not, my people are not going to be able to get in here. And I want to make sure of it, so I'm taking the keys with me. The Bible says, I believe, when he came out of the grave. Now, can you, again, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I believe in a big God and a big story. I really don't think Jesus just kind of moved that stone. I think Jesus went, move. That he, he showed up with authority because he now held the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and it motivated him. John chapter 4, verse 34 says this. I love this. He says, my food, this is Jesus talking, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. The tomb had to happen for the work to be finished. All of this, he had, to, he had to experience death. He had to be placed. Somebody had to carry him and throw him into that tomb. I really wonder how respectful they were as they put Jesus into that tomb. He had work to, to finish. Sunday had to come, and for Sunday to come, the work had to be done. See, Jesus had to trust. A lot of people don't think about this. Once he's dead, he is now, the Bible says, because of the sin of the world, the weight of the world, most theologians believe that God couldn't even look at him. They had to turn away because God can't look upon sin. And our sin, all of our mess, your screw-ups, my screw-ups, all of our sickness, disease, the Bible said, was placed on Jesus. And that's why he went to hell. Not because he deserved it, but because our mess was on him. So Jesus now had to trust his father. Why? He was God. Well, at this point, he had laid all that down, and he was now in the, in the pit of hell. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is what went and brought Jesus back. And the Holy Spirit had to be sent by his father. A lot of people think, well, God, Jesus didn't really have to trust and, and have faith. Oh, no, no, no. He, he, was locked in, he was locked up. I still get, I've been working with um, our first responders, fire EMS, and the police guys for 20 years, and been in and out of the, you know, in and out with those guys, in and out of the jail and the prison. And I don't know, I know some of y'all have probably been in the jail on the wrong side of the jail. But even if you're not on the wrong side, I mean, you've done anything wrong, and you go in there, and you walk in, and that, that door goes, click I still have this moment of panic. Like, what if they forget? You know? What if they decide? And, and I had some guys, I won't name their names, some officers say, ha, 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 watch this. Like, come on, guys. Y'all got, you know. I could beg and plead, but all I could do is sit down. I played it cool. I didn't freak out. Inside, I was like getting ready to tear the doors off. 
If I sat down and just kicked my feet up, I'm like, well, they're paying me. If y'all lock me in here, I'm just going to get paid to sit here. But inside, I was, because I had to have faith that they weren't just kidding. Jesus had to have faith that God said, hey, I'm going to send you. You're going to go do this, and I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to raise you from the dead, and I'm going to bring you to sit with me. And you're going to be set at my right hand. Jesus had to trust the faithfulness of his Father. We laugh about it, but I even think about it with my kids. Anybody ever play jokes on their kids? And then they look at you the next time around like, I ain't really going to trust you. <laughs> Last time you said that, you know, I got hit with a water balloon. Last time you said that, you know, you scared me. Last... We laugh about it, but Jesus had to trust himself. The Bible says in Acts 2, 26, that no wonder my heart is glad. And, my, and he's actually quoting a, um, an old prayer. He's quoting King David who said this. And it says in Acts 2, go back to the previous the 26. It says, no wonder my heart is glad, my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. In other words, I'm not worried about what's going to happen because my hope is not in what's happening. My hope is in him. It says, for you, in verse 27, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. You're not going to leave me here. I'm going to go do what you asked me to do. And you're not going to allow, this, notice it's capitalized, the holy in one. You're not going to allow your holy one to rot in the grave. Here's the cool thing about this. It doesn't just apply to Jesus. It applies to you. Because the Bible says that we received all that Jesus has done for us. And he says, I'm not going to allow you to rot in the grave. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you health. If, if we die before Jesus comes, I get to go. If we're here when Jesus comes back, we get to go. Why? Because this applies to us. It applies to me and you. No wonder my heart's glad. That, and he finishes this. He says, show me the way of life. Show me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of what? A presence. It's not like present like he's going to give you presence. It's presence like I'm going to show up and you're going to have joy because you get to hang out with me. You get to be with me. The significance of this is that even when everything seems hopeless, it doesn't have to stay that way. On this day, Jesus showed them Hey, I know it looks hopeless. I know it looks like you're losing. I know it looks like it's over, but guess what? It doesn't have to stay that way. Look what the Bible says in Luke 23, 44. This is when Jesus is dying, and it says, By now it was noon. And the Bible tells us that the whole, whole earth went dark. The sun was blacked out. The darkness lasted for three hours. Now, for you math majors, if it's noon and we add three hours, what time is that? Three o'clock. So when Jesus died, the Bible says that darkness lasted for three hours, a total blackout. And then it tells us in all the versions, the temple curtain was split right down the middle. Well, what's a temple curtain? Well, in the temple that they moved around, there sat the ark. And in the ark, the Bible said that's where the presence of God was. That's where the priest would have to go every year to atone for the sins of the people. In between the, what was the inner court, there was the inner court, then there was what's called the Holy of Holies. 
There's a, there was a curtain there because if anybody peeked in, put a foot in, anything unholy, unrighteous crossed that line, guess what? They were dragging you out. And the Bible says the moment that Jesus died, the curtain split. I believe it physically split. Whether you believe that or not, it split. And the Bible says there's now no, nothing hindering you and I from going from the outside directly to Jesus. Directly to the Father. The way I like to think of it is there's nothing stopping you from opening the front door, running in, and jumping up into Daddy's lap. I'm here. Some of you have grandkids, and some of you even on your kids. One of my favorite things, to, things is when my girls were little is... Is that they hear my truck pull up, hear the door shut, and you hear the all the little pitter-patter feet running to you. They don't think, oh, wait, i got to stop. Oh, wait, there's something holding me back. They just go charging right in. And for all of you who have your first-time new babies, when it happens, dads, it's like, woo! It's just, it's like they, it's a love that you can't describe because they're giving it to you. And Jesus actually says this as he's dying. The Bible says that he called loudly and says, Father, I now place my life in your hands. And he breathed his last breath, and the, and the veil split. What did Jesus do? Ushers, you can do your thing, band, you can come. The Bible says that Jesus demonstrated ultimate faith. He had to do it. He had to take it all the way to the end. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go through this crucifixion. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. They're going to throw me in a tomb. I'll go, I'm going to be in the pit of hell because all the sin of the world is on me, but I still trust you. And as I was praying this week, I don't know who this is. This is probably just as much for me with what we got going on and things going on in my life. This is just for me, but it's probably for you too. Some of you can't see the end of the hole that you feel like you're in. And you just need to follow this same thing and demonstrate this ultimate faith. That God is going to do what he said he would do. That healing is yours. Deliverance is yours. Freedom is yours. Some of you have kids that you've been begging to get their lives right, to get back to church. Some of you kids have parents that you've been begging to get your, their lives right and come with you here. The Bible says that it'll happen. The Bible tells us that it's yours. It's theirs to be, it's theirs to be experienced why we make such a big deal about inviting that Jesus last words were actually a Jewish prayer taught to all the, all the Jewish children out of Psalm 31 and I want to read this part of it to you it says in Psalm 31 5 Jesus prayed this this is the into your hands I commit my spirit this is what Jesus was saying he said God I entrust my spirit to your hand some of us who are going through life and life's not great like you think it should be or you're stepping in stuff that's just not fun, this is where you can go. I said this last week. You can't fix everything, but you can give God everything. That I entrust my spirit into your hands. And now, God, you're going to rescue me, but I'm trusting you. Oh, Lord. And I love this. It says, oh, Lord, I'm saying. Why? Because words matter. This, the, old, the, the old saying that sticks and stuff may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Baloney. Words matter. God, God even says it. He says, you, you're declaring. God, this is, you're my God, and you're going to help me. That's what they're saying. 
Then you skip to verse 14 and 15. It says, my future is in your hands. Now, I'm going to ask you to respond to this. Because I want to pray with you. Because I feel like some of this is for me. This last line here, rescue me from those who hunt me down. That there are people against you. That life is against you. You're tra- they're trying to cancel you. They're trying to take you out. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a, a mental attack. But how many of you right now would say, yeah, Clint, that's me. I feel like I need to be rescued because there's some stuff going haywire. If that's you, shoot your hand up. Don't be embarrassed. The only reason any of us in this room can say we're holy and righteous is because the holy and righteous one just died for us. If you raise your hand, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus could have quit, but he didn't. He said, God, I'm going to ultimately trust you with everything. I lay my life into your hands. And I love this last verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, because Jesus did that, we can go boldly into heaven's most holy place. Why? Because of the blood that Jesus just shed. You can kick the door in, go running into granddaddy, grandma's house, and go right in close. You don't have to tiptoe in. You don't have to wonder if God's going to squish you like a grape. The Bible says those who have the blood of Jesus over their lives, we can go right in into the presence of God. And I love this. With sincere hearts demonstrating ultimate faith. That God, you're going to do what I said you can do. And the significance of that is that the door to boldly get to... I didn't even word that right. The boldly get to God, the door was opened. A door that was closed to us and could not be opened by any other means, the door was opened to get to God. And that's what my, my prayer for you is this morning. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, we're going to sing one more song in just a second to, to let this settle. But we never leave here without offering. Some of you are saying, well, Clint, this is new to me, or maybe I was here, but then I walked away, and I just need to get my life right. But I'm going to ask you to, to do that now. The Bible says it's a simple prayer, that you confess it with your mouth, you believe it in your heart, that Jesus is who he says he was and he did everything I just told you. He went to the cross for you. He took your mess for you. He went in the tomb for you. And he ultimately had the faith that God was going to bring him up the same way he's going to bring you up. You have a quiet conversation right there in your seat with God. For the rest of us, I hope you understand now and maybe we have a better understanding of how significant Good Friday was, how good it was for us, how bad it was for Jesus. But ultimately, it had to happen for us to receive what he has for us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to pray over and bless you. God, in Jesus' name, for those who just said, God, I'm here, I'm yours, or maybe I'm returning, God, fill their hearts with the love of Christ like never felt before. Let them hear your voice like never before. And God, for the rest of us, that we so understand the significance of what you sent Jesus to do, God, in the next two weeks as we approach Easter, we start talking about it. We start inviting. Parents inviting kids. Kids inviting parents. Neighbors inviting neighbors. Employers inviting employees. Coworkers inviting coworkers. 
people stuck in the line at Walmart, inviting, you need to come experience what I've experienced. God, we thank you that we have the power under you to do that. You've given us the ability to do that. And God, we thank you for it now. We thank you for that in our lives right now. In Jesus' name.